0: From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. It's getting colder outside, and that means life is even more difficult for Rhode Islanders who don't have stable housing. Advocates say the state's homelessness crisis is worse than it's ever been. And it's not even winter yet. What should Rhode Island do to solve this problem? Providence College professor Eric Hirsch has some ideas. He has spent years advocating for the state's homeless community. In 2019, he wrote a report called How to End Long-Term Homelessness in Rhode Island. We'll talk about his plan after a quick break. Professor Eric Hirsch is an urban sociologist at Providence College and a longtime advocate for Rhode Island's homeless community. Professor Hirsch, thanks for joining us today.
1: You're welcome. It's my pleasure.
0: You've been studying homelessness in Rhode Island since 1990, roughly, right? Yes. And tell us, can you explain to listeners what's different about the moment now?
1: The big thing that's different about the moment now is the very large number of people who are living outside. Really, due to COVID-19, we've seen an explosion in the numbers. So what happened was, once COVID-19 hit, we had to reduce the density in the shelters to keep people safe. So it just means that a lot of people are outside due to the, the lack of space in the shelters and also the economic impact of COVID. So if people lose a job, they can't pay their rent. In many cases, they wind up on the street. The rent relief programs that we've had have been very slow to actually get money to landlords and tenants, so uh, that's why there's so many people outside.
0: But but in the decades you've been watching this um, in Rhode Island, how does it compare?
1: Right. So we were never much over a hundred until COVID hit, and then in January 2021. We found 180 people outside. That was the most we ever had. Now we think if we did a point-in-time count we, and we were able to count everyone, we'd probably be in the 300 to 400 range. Oh, wow, so what, yeah, what, can
0: you describe what you're seeing out there on the street? Like, is it more obvious that people are living on the streets in the past years?
1: Yes, so there are many more tent encampments all over the state, not just in one place. So in places like West Warwick and Woonsocket, There are large numbers of people on the street, certainly in Providence, Pawtucket, uh, we always see people on the street there. We would estimate probably 50 families outside living in their cars, living under bridges, but we're alarmed that very little has been done to get people off the street, and it's been below freezing the last week. We're worried that people are going to freeze to death.
0: Last week we saw Governor McKee announce that Rhode Island will provide $5 million to create 275 additional beds for people dealing with homelessness. Is that going to be enough?
1: That's not going to be enough. And, you know, here's what that money is. On October 5th, long before the governor said that, they put out a request for proposals to the nonprofits to provide winter shelter beds. We do that every year. Normally we do that in August. For some reason, that didn't happen this year in the year where it was most crucial to do it. It didn't happen till October 5th. So that $5 million is funding for winter shelter beds, 275 beds, that would be a good number. That's probably about what we need. The problem is we don't have sites for those beds. So, for example, in Woonsocket, the Community Care Alliance, which serves that community, had a building in mind when they applied for the money. They got the money, and then a private developer snapped up that building out from under them, and now they have no place to put those beds. The Echo Village, which is a tiny home village, they got funding. They don't have a site either. So saying Mm -hmm. that you're funding it doesn't create the beds. And we've said from the beginning that the state needs to step in and help us find sites, not just for shelter beds, but for housing, for these hundreds of people who are outside. Shelters don't end homelessness. Housing does. Is the governor,
0: is the General Assembly, is anybody in state government treating this as a crisis, treating this with the urgency that you're describing? No.
1: No. And I have to admit, I don't understand that. Number one, they should care about people. They should care about the possibility that people could freeze to death. I think the only reason they don't is because, oh, that's quote unquote, the homeless. You know, it's a a stigma as soon as you're homeless. And it's very hard to get past that. But these are your neighbors, these are your friends, these are your relatives especially during the COVID crisis. So, you know, it's no different, as far as I'm concerned, you know, if people had been flooded out by one of the hurricanes or by that nor'easter, they would have been in shelter the next day. In one day, the National Guard would have been mobilized, they would have set up a shelter, and those people would be inside. But because it's, quote-unquote, the homeless nothing is being done. Releasing money to overwhelmed nonprofits is not going to solve the situation. And that's what they've been saying for months. So no, there's no sense of urgency. You know, it's one thing if you don't care, but I've been saying, well, this, there could be a political cost to this too if we lose people out there. So maybe if they don't care about the people themselves, they should care about the politics.
0: Because it can't be that they're not aware of the situation. Because tell us what you've been doing. You've been going to the public input sessions that the governor and the lieutenant governor have been holding about their vision for Rhode Island 2030. What have you been saying when you go to those
1: hearings? So the main focus of these 2030 sessions is how do we spend the $1.1 billion that the state has in American Rescue Plan funds from the federal government? So we're saying you have the money, show some leadership, understand the nature of this crisis, declare a state of emergency, get some state employees involved, heads of departments. The nonprofits can't deal with it. They're overwhelmed. You know, at the last meeting in Warwick at CCRI, again, the 2030 um, event, that the governor has been doing around the state. We brought eight to 10 outreach workers and they all described going out, trying to help people on the street and having literally nothing they can give them. Mm -hmm. And they're saying to our outreach workers, what are you doing out here? Why are you even out here? You can't help us, so go home. And, you know, what's their answer to that? And I've heard and seen people on Zoom calls about these issues sobbing uncontrollably. Not people who are out on the street, people who are trying to help them. So you can imagine how people on the street feel. While the state is sitting on over a billion dollars in home funds. We're the only state in the Northeast, I think, who hasn't spent any of that money this is neglect, this is incompetence.
0: And it is, is part of your frustration that the money is available, like <laughs> yes. some,
1: some years it's not. Not just some years, the 30 years I've been doing this, the argument had always been, well, we really don't have the money. Now we're sitting on a billion dollars. So they ought to get people inside right now, and they ought to end long-term homelessness. What that would involve would be find buildings, create around 500 permanent supportive housing units. So that means rent subsidized units and then give them whatever supportive services they need to stay there. It turns out my research shows it's cheaper to put someone in permanent supportive housing than it is to leave them on the street where they wind up in emergency departments hospital beds, and even nursing homes. People don't realize a lot of times people get discharged from hospitals to nursing homes. That costs a tremendous amount of money.
0: You know, Sabina Matos, the lieutenant governor, and uh, House Speaker Joe Shikarchi, they've both identified housing and homelessness as one of their top priorities. Why isn't more being done?
1: We actually asked the governor back in May to appoint Lieutenant Governor Matos as the head of the task force to deal with this issue. He hasn't done that. He hasn't even appointed a task force. We also gave him a list of state employees and nonprofit leaders who should be on the task force. So we basically did all the work for him. But so far, he hasn't followed up on that. We do think Lieutenant Governor Matos would be the perfect person to lead this. She grew up in subsidized housing. You know, She does care. I absolutely believe she cares. And I've talked to her directly about this. So uh, I would call on the governor to appoint her as the head of this task force. And I
0: remember um, talking to you over at the encampment on the West End. Can you bring us up to date on
1: what's happened there? So the Wilson Street encampment, uh, a number of people, I think at one time there were maybe 12 tents there. There may be 30 people living there. Uh, on the south side of Providence. So Mayor Alorza came over and said, well, I'm not gonna try to move people out of here until I solve their short-term, medium-term, and long-term housing issues. We all knew he wouldn't be able to because we know the situation. We can't even find shelter beds for people. We can't find apartments that private landlords are willing to rent to us in this incredibly hot market and he wasn't able to solve any of those problems so they did kind of a fake solution saying oh we have motel rooms for these people but guess what they were for one week you know and in some cases people didn't even last for a week and we we're not sure where those people are now hmm. They said they had till november 1st to move out and then three days before they cleared everything from that site so someone should ask mayor alorza well what happened to your solutions and what happened to your promise that you wouldn't evict people without providing those
0: and, and you talk you mentioned a little while ago the tiny home concept at Echo Village, and that proposal seemed to face more opposition than anything from uh, politicians saying we, we already have too many shelters or services in South Providence. Put it elsewhere. What do, what do you say to uh, that?
1: Exactly. So, tiny home—the tiny home, home idea—was a great idea. There's some people who don't do well in shelter. I don't think I would, for example. <laughs> And they don't even do well in hotel rooms. So giving them their own tiny home with a lock on it is a tremendous advance. It's not that expensive. We can set these up within, you know, a month of getting the okay. And I'll just mention Laura Jaworski, who's the head of House of Hope CDC, has been working on this for more than a year. It might be two years. And the first thing that happened is – housing code, people said, well, if you set these up outside, they won't be able to handle the snow load. I don't believe that. (laughs) I don't think that's really true. And even if let's say, okay, you know, it's potentially dangerous. Well, is it less dangerous to be living outside in winter? Where's the housing code enforcers on that? You know, people living in tents or under bridges. That I would say is pretty dangerous. So they couldn't do it outside. So then she started looking for large buildings where they would be able to set up the tiny homes inside. They found one in South Providence, and they knocked on people's doors to explain to them what this was going to be, uh, the security that was going to be there. I think they found people generally in support. But then, as what this is what usually takes place, a few people decided, "Oh, we don't want this in our community," and so when the community meeting happened, uh, it was torches and pitchforks, really vicious comments. I won't even repeat them in terms of what they said about people who are homeless. And let me let me be clear: it's the housing market; it isn't the people. You know, when you have $2,000 a month rents, more than half of the people in the state cannot afford a two-bedroom apartment. So, only about a third of homeless people have any kind of substance use issue. Only about a third have any kind of mental health issue. And the families in particular generally don't have those issues at all. They just need an apartment. So, you know, those comments were false. <laughs> They're lies. And, you know, it was impossible to use this big warehouse that they found that isn't being used for anything, and now they don't have a site.
0: So, so that's where it stands right now? It's just in limbo? Exactly.
1: And there, again, what about the state? We ask the state to help with siting. And even though now there's money available, we still need the help to find places to put the shelter beds, to put Echo Village, and certainly to put permanent supportive housing. And so far, they haven't done that.
0: Professor, let me ask you about the ARPA money, the federal money that Rhode Island has received. Has any of that gone towards helping the homeless?
1: Zero money has gone toward helping the homeless. And it turns out that there's already $23 million that's been given to the state of what's called American Rescue Plan home funds. None of that money has been spent, even though the regulations have been published by the Department of Housing and Urban Development since September 13th. And when I raise this, what I always hear is, well, there's a whole set of things we have to do before we can use that money. Well, streamline it. This is something the governor could do. You know, this doesn't require General Assembly approval. It's not in the supplemental budget. It's money that's already available. I'm sure they could get that money out in the next couple of weeks if they worked at it. I'm tired of hearing that there's red tape. Someone needs to cut through the red tape.
0: What can listeners uh, do about this situation? What would be the most concrete and effective thing they can do to help right now?
1: Something very concrete and easy to do is to call the governor. So it's 222-2080. 401-222-2080. He won't answer the phone. It's unlikely that his staff will even answer the phone. You'll probably get a recording. So it's you know not the difficult thing to do. Just say to the governor, please deal with the unsheltered homelessness crisis, declare a state of emergency, appoint a task force to get these people off the street. That's just one sentence. And if he gets enough calls, maybe that will get his attention and he'll realize there's a political cost to inaction.
0: All right, Professor Hirsch, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: For more information about the homelessness crisis, check out our ongoing coverage in Globe, Rhode Island. Here are some more stories to check out this week. My colleague, Alexa Gagas has a Q&A with the creators of Bombay Gear a line of baby strollers. They claim they've made the fastest one-handed fold on the market. There are more developments in the story about the North Kingstown teacher who has been accused of conducting private body fat tests on students for more than 20 years. Amanda Milkovitz has the latest. Find these stories and more at globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. Got a tip? Have someone you think we should talk to? We'd love to hear your ideas. Send us an email at rinews@globe.com. at globe.com. And if you'd like the show, do us a favor. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week.